a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, good afternoon, my friends. It's a beautiful day to record a podcast with two incredible dudes. Whoa, well, thank you. I I feel like the atmosphere has shifted a little bit because I'm now talking to a reverend. <laughs> yeah, we are official over here. Congrats, Emily. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I expect to be referred to as Reverend Reddinghouse from here on out. Just kidding. Yes, Reverend. Just, Although, just correct kidding. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like you you had that title before, right? People, people liked to give me that, but now it's official. Oh. Now I'm officially Pastor Emily Reverend Reddinghouse. Before you were just elder. Pastor Emily. I was just pastor. Oh, so you did hold the position of pastor, but not reverend. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Man, denominations are yes. wild. Okay, got it. They are crazy, as is life. Um, so as is life, she says. It is, yeah. What are you guys drinking today? I worry. I, I worry about saying this on public media um, because I feel like I might get canceled for heresy. I Uh-oh. am drinking a Starbucks caramel frappuccino. <gasps> wow. With uh, a quad blonde shot. But uh, TBH, I forgot that it normally doesn't come with espresso. So by me adding uh-huh. that much liquid, it became very soupy. So I added a lot more ice in and now it's just a nice coffee. But it's really good. Okay. Wow. Okay. Going back to my roots. Well done. All right. Well, I will hold down the good coffee end of the spectrum. Okay. Um. <laughs> I I made an iced coffee with the Highline blend. I did a uh, an AeroPress over ice, and now it's this big, tall, like sweating pint glass of Ooh. delightful coffee. It's wonderful. Mm. Yes, I put a picture in the Discord right before we started. If you guys didn't see it yet, I did not. I love iced coffee in a pint glass. That's where it belongs. It is so good. Well, I am not on the coffee spectrum. Uh, I get this, guys. I'm having a sangria right now. Oh, hey, live it up, Reverend. I am Absolutely. living it up. It's beautiful. <laughs> it is 78 degrees here. There's. I'm looking out my window and there is not a cloud in the sky. There's not even a breeze. Like it's just calm and serene and summer. So it called for a festive tropical summer drink. So that's what I'm having. Wow. Yeah. Congrats. I know. Thank you. Emily, did the did the crazy flooding hit Cody at all? I never got that update. Well, so the dam that's here, um, the Buffalo Bill Dam, uh, they like closed off the access to that, um, as well as to parts of the Shoshone that branches off the Yellowstone through like Yellowstone Park. But yeah. 
the town itself was not impacted um, by flooding, but the water is still very high and it's crazy. And Red Lodge is opened, uh, which is cool. Yellowstone is now open as well. But oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yep. Yellowstone, some of the gates, not all. So but it's yeah, it's just crazy to see the damage from this 500 year flood. Yeah. Yeah. We had the the water levels got so bad here in Billings that they it flooded out the intake pumps uh, for the city water treatment plant. So for like a day, the city of Billings was on a conserve water order because they were running on reserve tanks, which for the city of Billings only lasts about a day and a half with normal usage. So mm-hmm. we were all told like, don't water your lawns. That was the main thing was don't water your lawns. But like, Everyone kind of could read between the lines of like, if you can make it without a shower, you should probably try kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> yeah. That was pretty crazy. But well, per your opinions, lawns are the first to go. So true. True. I think that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Josh. Josh is referencing an episode of the Whiskey Bench I made. Great episode. Over a year ago, we we called it Lawns Are Grass Holes. Yes. Such a good episode. Forgot that was the title. And <laughs> we ranted about how stupid I think green Kentucky bluegrass lawns are. As they especially are. Especially if it's not native. And mm. especially if it's mm. in a place like Montana that's usually under like dry or high desert conditions. Yep. Anyway, this isn't what we're here to talk about. No, it's not. Yeah. What are we here to talk about, Emily? You have gathered us here today. We, I, we have gathered in this space, brothers and sisters in Christ. With this episode. You really sound like a reverend. Thank you. <laughs> This episode's going to be coming out, you know, right around 4th of July. Um, And so one nation under God, you know, we're so used to the national anthem and pledge of allegiance. And so I wanted to talk about independence and interdependence in regards to God uh, and Christianity. So just wanted to know, first off, growing up. A, did you recite every morning the national anthem or the um, Pledge of Allegiance? And if you did, did you actually know what you were saying? Yes and no Mm -hmm. are my very quick answers. Mm -hmm. Same. I'm going to say no and questionable. Wait, you didn't have to recite the... No, I was homeschooled. (gasps) That's right. Wait, Stephen, weren't you homeschooled? Yeah. Oh, your point. You guys still did the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I remember in high school, we stood for the national anthem, question mark, every Monday, I think. Oh, interesting. Oh, the singing of it? Yeah. Or they played it over the loudspeakers or something. Man, was it Fridays or Monday? It was something mm. like that. It was like once a week. Fascinating. Yeah. I only distinctly remember saying the Pledge of Allegiance at church camp. So like the national anthem Whoa. is like intrinsically <laughs> tied for me to the pledge to the christian flag and the pledge to the bible because i said it in equal amount um, excuse me wait what okay what start over josh start over what <laughs> the pledges to what have you, oh my god one more time one more again the pledge to the christian flag and the pledge to the bible okay i the christian flag is the white field with the blue corner with the red cross is that right yes yes sir okay i at least know what that is what is the pledge to it. What is that? I have them. I pulled them up already. Please. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. One brotherhood uniting all mankind in service and in love. You have to say it like that. Otherwise, it doesn't count. 
Do you put your hand sure. over your heart? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Or on your Bible. You don't. Uh, uh, and then the pledge to the Bible uh, was, I know this is not even what we're talking about, but uh, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path and will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. That you might not sin against God? Yeah, I don't know what the might is all in there for, but yeah. But yeah, so short answer is uh, I, I did not say it every day, but when I did say it, I was like, why, why are we saying these? Like, because it was like not huh. normal for me. Wow. No. Wow. No. What about you, Emily? Interesting. Uh, yeah, growing up, Pledge of Allegiance, um, didn't fully understand what I was saying, but I did it. In fact, you know, pro- little kids, you know, they would say, you know, one nation under God. And instead of saying indivisible, they would, you know, they didn't know what the word meant. So they would just kind of say like indivisible <laughs> with liberty and justice for all, you know, like there are these big words that you're you're asking big people to, you know, say. Um, so how do you feel about the Pledge of Allegiance and or the allegiance to the Bible or the allegiance to the Christian flag? Like, how do you feel about the idea of like placing your hand over your heart and pledging allegiance to something with a line that says one nation under God. Like, does that stir anything in within you or are you just not phased by it at all? This is a really delicate question. Um, I know. That's why I'm asking it. I am surprised, Emily, you haven't thrown me under the bus yet for being the guy who led the entire high school every Monday in the Pledge of Allegiance from the intercom. Oh. Why would I give you crap? Why would I give you crap? Because I specifically asked to be that kid in junior year, and I did it through junior and senior year. I know you did. As well as doing the announcements. Um, I'm really uncomfortable with it, honestly. Like, even when you opened this whole thing with just saying the phrase one nation under God, I, I don't know. I, it yucks. It feel, I feel yucked. You feel yucked. Now. With that idea, mm. I think, man, especially with the work of like Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne, I, I mean, like, I've done a lot of raveling about my American citizenship at this point in my life, and I still feel really weird about it. Honestly, like, I guess to in media res you, I don't say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore when it's asked to be said, and. Mm-hmm. And like even in high school, I used to be the the kid in the Laurel Airs in the show choir that would sing the national anthem at almost everything, right? Mm-hmm. Every sporting event or whatever. But I don't sing it anymore. And honestly, I'm the guy who like if I go to like a high school football game and they play the national anthem, I'll stand. I don't put my hand over my heart and I don't sing anymore. Mm-hmm. It feels like such a like subtle act of defiance, but I totally relate to that. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think to put it like. In the simplest terms, I also feel really weird that the pledge to the Christian flag in the Bible exists, Josh, like that. I know, it's so weird. I know. It feels like all of them are missing the point of like, to call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ is to pledge allegiance to Christ alone. And like, even the Bible is not Christ. What are we doing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? I think the, uh, yeah. the the question of like uh, allegiance to country, like, I mean, I think we could have a whole conversation about Christian nationalism for sure. But like, I think even mm-hmm. just like the the concept of like pledging allegiance to a country, I think struck me. Well, what's what's the phrase? I think it just like struck me as so odd 
like even early on, I was kind of like, why are we saying this? Like, I, I didn't like have a bunch of like questions and uh, like I didn't see the pitfalls of Christian nationalism at the time. Like, I feel like even in high school, I was kind of like, this feels like something more like the soldiers would say, like, what, why, why oh, do I yeah. need to say this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Fun fact. Did you know that the phrase under God was not added until 1954 by Eisenhower? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original one was written by a socialist minister in 1892. What was that? What was that one? It was just, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Huh. And then it like changed a couple times. And then in 54, Eisenhower added the, encouraged Congress to add the words under God, hmm. which I think is interesting. Well, yeah, we have this idea of like separation of church and state. And yet. Yeah. Like the phrase one nation under God, like. I think doesn't really make sense. Uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really know like what it's trying to communicate other than like, w- we are one nation and we exist like under God's leadership or authority or something. I mean, it's like some appeal to like authority. I feel like mm-hmm. I have a theory, especially what 1954 Eisenhower yep. uh-huh. did that. I think that it post world war two and seeing what happens right in a very classic, like, Nietzsche, God is dead and we have killed him type way of like World War II is what happens when we devolve to the uh, the more evil demons of our nature mm. and like World War II and the atrocity atrocities of like Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia and all these things like internment camps and uh, uh, much worse, obviously. I think Eisenhower being a person who witnessed what a godless place looked like, I would assume that he felt convicted to be like, but then America swooped in and saved the day on both fronts of the war. Mm-hmm. And so we must have been doing something of a righteous cause because we liberated Jews from death camps and ended the war sooner than it would have ended in Japan by our warful actions. Mm, that's a good theory. Steven, I really relate to the way you answered about uh, like how you currently stand with like the behavior towards Pledge of Allegiance in the National Anthem, like, I can respect someone personally being proud to be an American, but I think more often than not, I'm not so sure I, like, can put my trust and pride in the American country. Not that we are doing everything wrong or, like, the most evil country on the planet, but, like, there's a lot that goes on that I don't think should happen. And, yeah, like, that alone makes me feel like... Like, I think in, I think in a lot of ways, my like critiques or weird feelings or like whatever, I think are largely divorced from my faith. Sort of. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess we've talked about this before on our like faith and politics episode, but I think in terms of like the national anthem and the pledge of allegiance, I'm not usually thinking Jesus wouldn't want me to stand for the anthem. I'm usually thinking like, I, I don't know. (laughs) Like it's more of like a hesitancy than it is like a faith conviction, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And it is one of those things where, especially today, like 21st century, we find ourselves, at least in America, where there are so many things happening that I'm sure many of us kind of are looking in the mirror and saying, what happened? And I know for me personally, it's hard to have pride in something that is falling short of what it says it stands for question mark (laughs) Hmm. um also realizing you know 
one nation under God, indivisible, liberty and justice for all, that was, you know, framed really to mean for those who are white and male and (laughs) had property and, you know, like, we like to think it's for all people, but we still have this idea of who the all is really about. And we're seeing that come to fruition today, unfortunately. Yeah, and quite a few examples for sure. Emily, I have a question. Uh-oh. For you. Uh-oh. Because um, you and I were in the same civics class our senior year. <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> How different do you think your politics are from 10 years ago in civics class to today? Oh, gosh. 10 years ago, that's even weird to say. Um, I, know, I we have to plan our... 10-year high school reunion. We have to plan our 10-year reunion. Because we were, we were class president and treasurer. and We're yeah. getting old. Look at us go. 10 years ago, Emily, sitting in civics, really had no idea what she aligned with politically, but she knew that it wasn't like one party over the other. She knew that there were bits and pieces that she could see on both sides But yet the world was telling her, you got to be one or the other. And if you're not this one, then face the consequences. And if you're not this one, then face the consequences. Um, Yeah. And so Emily, 10 years ago, would just say, nope, don't even go near it. Like, just know your basics of government and American history and move on in life. And the Emily that's speaking today, I think, politically would find herself leaning in the left, but still in the middle in regards to political ideation and really not being a part of any specific political party. Um, I vote independent. And so like each election is different for me. (laughs) And I find myself wrestling way more with agendas and legislation than I would have 10 years ago. And I think it's because Mm. now, and oddly enough, because of my profession, I find myself in positions where I have to have an opinion. Wow. Mm -hmm. Whether or not I fully understand it yet is one thing, but I do have to have an opinion because I have people who come to me and ask today after church, today after church on June 26th, During fellowship hour, one of my members of church was like, hey, how do you feel about Roe v. Wade? (laughs) And I'm like, Mm. how do I feel? Like, so I shared my opinion and this person shared, I've been a Republican for 50 years and he shared his opinion about how men don't belong in women's, you know, decisions over their body and went on and on and on. And that conversation made me realize that faith is political and I Mm. have a political stance in something. And so, yeah, like politics are huge now for me. And sometimes that means I am the black sheep of the herd in regards to like my family or even like some of my other peers, because I will have an opinion that's completely different than theirs. Uh, if you want to hear more about Emily's opinions on abortion specifically, we did do a whole episode called Detheologizing Abortion, which we did. is as relevant as ever. It was a good conversation, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Emily, I really appreciate that opinion, 
about needing to have an opinion. And I think that that's like something that I struggle with sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I have like very similar personalities in terms of like being very agreeable, which we've also talked about before and like, like seeing the value and like being on the fence or like not like not just like holding your cards out on the table, like at first glance. Yeah. Um, So I I really appreciate that. I'm really curious about your first question. Can we go back to that? About how did you word it about like independence and interdependence? Because that really struck me. Versus interdependence. Um, So basically like this idea of how is God and religion maybe a part of this idea of independence and if God is not a part of that is God a part of interdependence Mm. in regards to freedom freedom of religion freedom of expression whatever the case may be I really like that question I don't even know if I have an answer for that but I love that question I feel like some people really struggle with the concept of interdependence. I think that like a lot of people see the pitfalls of codependency, which is a very real problem for some people. And they therefore want to go to the other extreme and like be strictly independent, like as a person, as a, like, like just fully lean into their autonomy in like everything. And I'm not saying that's wrong to do, but I, I've seen it with some people that like they just cannot grasp the concept of interdependence like your actions literally affect other people kind of thing mhm and i i think some decisions are made whether it's like at the individual level or like the supreme court level for instance where it's like the argument is leaning heavily on like independence of a group or a person and it like fails to recognize that like an individual's actions definitely affect other people in the community or in their lives. Yeah. Or just like for themselves down the road. And so I, I feel like your question about like, what is God's role in independence and interdependence? I think that's really fascinating. I think God's role is to simply be there through the growth of individuals through that process. Like I, I think dependence, independence to interdependence is a natural progression of becoming wise. And I think that they all have a place for certain times of our life for for certain times of our life, whether you want to describe it as like first half of life to second half of life as Richard Rohr does in falling upward, or you want to describe it in like spiral dynamics terms of moving through red to blue to orange to green to yellow of like successively learning to transcend and include the previous stages of Yeah, I am independent. So like for me, my early 20s, like looking back like five years ago, I was totally enraptured with ideas of like uh, personal discipline and self-motivation. And there, there was a lot of like intrinsic motivating factors in my life where I was like, right now, I don't feel like I, I need anyone else to like show me how to do this. I don't need a coach, whatever, because... I know what I need to do and I know I can do it. And I proved it to myself by doing it. But growing through some more complexity, I think COVID especially taught me this, if it didn't teach the rest of us this, was that we are like interdependent, like our whole society is interdependent on one another, right? Like people talk about we're always three meals away from anarchy, like when supply chain issues go and now the shelves are becoming bare and people like 
<laughs> people start punching people out. We were talking about the uh, the flooding that was happening in Billings. The day that the uh, the order went out for us to conserve water, there was a rush on the grocery stores to get like water bottles. And Dixie was already at the store, and she had not heard about the conserve water order. And she went to go grab water, and someone like shoved her out of the way Whoa. and grabbed it before. Yeah, like it was like, oh, oh my god, my. we all just reverted to like completely. We are all beige in spiral dynamics, and we are literally just about self preservation mm-hmm. and fighting for ourselves. And that is like, things are very connected. Th- things are a lot more complexly interconnected yeah. and related to one another than we, I think we ever give it credit for, especially growing up American, thinking that, right, the, these ideas of like independence and freedom give us complete autonomy. And while like in some areas, I think autonomy is uh, a perfectly valid thing to desire and valid thing to like legislate. It's like, I don't know. I we we get ourselves stuck if the value of independence as a stage of our development becomes the end all because I in my mind clearly interdependence is where we want to operate in our lives with the people around us and the people we love and the people we like have to work with. Like learning to lean on interdependence is something that I think is a later stage of growth. But if we idolize independence and freedom too much, then we're always going to be reverting back to some of those baser instincts of, you know, protecting ourselves. And do you yeah. think? Do you think we could truly be independent? Uh, <laughs> I think it's an interesting question. Like the like, I guess the youth. Mm, oh man, can I ask it a different way? Oh, please sure. do. <laughs> Do you think you could go through solitary confinement and not like find it torture like it's designed to be? Mm-hmm. That's immediately what I think of is like to be independent is to, to be truly isolated. And I think there's a reason that people have figured out why that's like you're on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a reason why people have figured out that that is a form of torture. I think it only makes sense to talk about independence in very specific terms. Like, even the prisoner is dependent on the prison system. Hmm. Like, in a very, like, dysfunctional way. But, like, I think that it would only make sense to talk... Like, for instance, if you are... Like, we we call people uh, who are not romantically involved, we call them single instead of romantically independent. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like... Oh, yeah. uh, Or, like, I think think political identity is a great example. Like, for you, Emily, like, you are functionally Mm -hmm. politically independent. Even if, like, you have different opinions about different issues, like, you don't align with a single group currently. So you are functionally Mm -hmm. politically independent. Or I don't don't go to a gym, so I guess I am... (laughs) I I, I'm a free agent. Or, like... (laughs) Like we kind of talked a couple episodes ago about uh, like people who are not in church and like uh, whether mm-hmm. we should talk about them as uh, unaffiliated or non-denominational or are they and, religiously independent? Right. Or like and then independent. I, I like your your tie into uh, politics and faith because I think it's an interesting word that like gets used in lots of different ways. Like I'm thinking of independent fundamental Baptists or mm. like just different ways that like independence has been like fallen back on as a as a hallmark value in certain circles. I think it only makes sense to talk about independence. Like I don't think someone could be like holistically independent from 
depending on anything. And I, I don't understand people who think that they can do that. Like, for instance, I think that there's a little bit of that thinking in like living off of the grid or being financially independent. But even those are like very specific types of independence. You're like independent from buying things at the grocery store. Like you, you don't depend on certain things, but that doesn't mean you don't depend on other things. And I think that's what's really interesting about the, the concept of interdependence, because I would argue all along, we are all interdependent, like yeah. in some shape or form, like some more than others, like some communities and countries value interdependence so much that like you have almost no individual identity versus like here in the West and America, we value individual identity. And so I think it often seems like we're not interdependent. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that means we aren't. Mm. It is very much a balancing act. Okay. Going back to your original question, do you think that a relationship with God can be interdependent? Because I think that a lot of people mm. talk about a relationship with God like it's a two-way street, even if they believe in like predetermination and that like we have almost no <laughs> independence at all. <laughs> But like, like what, what would it look like to believe in an interdependent relationship with God? Ooh, that's a good question. The first thing off the top of my head is I think that even thinking about God and the concept of interdependence, I think it very quickly leads us to things like liberation theology, eco-theology, uh, mm-hmm. types of theological thinking that are very focused on community. And I think that those branches of theology would argue that because that is involving like love of uh, creation and love of neighbor, that that fundamentally is love of God as well. And so therefore, there's like an interdependence through the act of loving. You just basically stole my answer. Oh, crap. Nice. I should have just let you have it. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's (laughs) good. That is elaborate, Emily, though. Well, so this idea of like... God creating us in the first place, you know, do we have this idea that God created us to toy with us or did God create us to be in relationship with God? And so if that's the case, then in a sense, God kind of does depend on us. (laughs) Um, Mm. And maybe not so much for needs being met, but maybe just to have something, you know, to have something deeper and to have relationship which i think actually is a basic need Hmm. and those theologies those thoughts and those schools of thoughts i think enhance that even more and they promote relationship and interconnectedness and call for us to be a part of each other's lives and therefore being a part of god's life We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. 
For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. Here's a word from one of our sister shows, Keller's Couch. Yeah, it was the day before, and I, I remember telling Ryan, like, yeah, tomorrow's episode is canceled. And he's like, what? Well, what happened? <laughs> I was walking in a corn maze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just the message I got from you, Stephen, was great. Hey, man, sorry we can't make it tomorrow. We're going to the ER. Dixie may have broken her ankle in a corn maze. <laughs> Not even the haunted one. Yeah, like, wow, <laughs> shit got real, huh? Do you want a coffee by Roasting Company that sounds like we made it up? Well, we're now selling coffee by Revel Coffee throughout the whole Highline Media Network. (laughs) That is right, Josh. This is a Montana local international award-winning roaster that we've partnered with to create the Highline Blend. What's super cool is it directly supports the show that you love with every bag that you buy. How neat is that? So if you want a bag of really good coffee, I've tried many coffees from this roaster and I totally recommend it. Just go to highline.network slash shop or hit the link in the show notes. We'll send you a bag. I think in the same way that parents of a child co-create something through a moment of love and then now that child is in a few functional ways, independent of those parents, but also dependent on those parents, especially through infancy. But then as they grow up, the interdependence comes into play where, uh, right, like Emily, I'm sure Thea has a particular weight of influence on your emotions day to day, whether that be frustration or delight. I think that embodies an interdependent relationship and then i think of how some scriptures describe our ability to both delight and to grieve like the holy spirit yeah and i think in in a way of like creating a world to be enjoyed that god as god's self in the trinity and i'm going straight like divine dance richard Rohr now but in an outpouring of love creating a new space in the dance or at the table to invite us into. And now we have influence on God by our ability to both delight and to grieve God. I think that describes an interdependent relationship, you know, Uh, and Mm -hmm. uh, at the risk of beating a dead horse, both this episode and the episode that's coming out next week. I think this is what I'm very much excited about learning in open and relational and process theology is the way that, we get to co-create with God as well. And like Mm. in specific ways and open and relational theology, God can't do things in our world, but that we can do. So in that way also, God needs us 
to act as his body in the world to accomplish some of the aims of the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Like doing it together, collaborating. Because I think if God was completely independent of us, I think that's what we describe in like, like the 16th century deists, right? Of like the watchmaker God who sets it up, winds it up, and lets it go. And if God was mm. truly that independent of us, then I'm not, I'm not convinced he would care to either right, send his son, even, <laughs> in the form of Jesus, or just seemingly interact with what he has made through prayer and through experiences of the divine that we all have heard descriptions of, if not had ourselves in moments of worship or prayer. Stephen, I like your callback to God's emotions too. I think that's an interesting yeah. like mechanism of interdependence. Uh, it reminds me of episode 27 we did, God in the question of feeling that was like very focused on that question of like impassibility. We're just hyperlinking all over the place today. <laughs> we are. <laughs> the more I think about it, the, the more I think that the concept of interdependence is, oh my God, I'm going to sound so Christian-y. Oh my God. I think do it, do it. Stand off king. I think that the concept, the framework of interdependence is describing right relationship. Like it's not codependence. Yeah. Mm. And it's not yeah. like a dysfunctional relationship. It means like like beautifully interconnected, like not not quite like one could exist without the other, but like they are now intrinsically tied together. Yeah. And uh, if that's mm-hmm. not righteousness, I don't know what is. Like, if that, if that is the definition of righteousness, <laughs> like, like may- maybe righteousness and interdependence uh, are, like, more closely tied than we thought. Mm. But, like, I think most Christians would agree with that. Like, I think most Christians would agree, like, that God wants to be in right relationship with humanity. Like, that's usually how the gospel is described. And that, that Jesus' is coming is communicating that God loves humanity and wants humanity to be in relationship with God, whatever that means. Yeah. And so I think that like it could be argued that part of the, the a main hallmark of the gospel is God preaching interdependence. Here's a question. And it has to do with relationship. I'm ready. Um do you think discipleship means pledging allegiance? Oh. Oh, what a juicy question. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um Yes. Question mark in your voice. I don't know if I can substantiate it much more than that, but yes. I think to be a disciple of Christ is to mean that you are not a disciple of anyone else. Right? I I I think of that model of like disciples sitting at rabbi's feet. But do you think it goes further than just pledging allegiance? Um yeah, it's something to do with like being formed in the way of those teachings, right? So would I rather be formed in the way of Christ's teachings to love my enemy and my neighbor and uh, even at my own expense, or would I rather be uh, formed in the way of top-down power over empirical rule if I pledge allegiance to my flag that represents my federal government, you know? like See, okay. 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 Josh, what about you? I want to, I'm going to wait to share my thoughts. Wait, I'm Josh, sorry. what can, about you? Yeah. I want to hear my thoughts as well, but Stephen, can you like sum up what you just said? I think I got a little lost in the, uh, I was just like trailing off of my thoughts. 
Um, how would you how would you sum up what you're saying? Emily's asking, is discipleship pledging allegiance? Right. And to me, pledging allegiance represents making a choice to like study at the feet of this teacher rather than that teacher. Mm, mm -hmm. So to pledge allegiance to my flag that represents my government, in my mind, I have one allegiance to give. And would I rather give that to the White House or Christ? Okay, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Which actually, I, I can really respect that because I think that pledging allegiance to Christ as a Christian makes much more sense than pledging allegiance to other things. But I also don't, I still don't like the phrasing of it because like the whole idea of pledging allegiance feels too like militaristically exclusive. Yes. Like, yeah, is discipleship pledging allegiance? I, I mean, maybe in some ways it is. Like even me personally, like experiencing like belief shift and doubting and like feeling like things are raveling. I still find myself thinking about Jesus and thinking about theology. And like, maybe there is something that like I intrinsically changed about myself because I made a decision when I was five years old to follow Jesus forever. I don't know. Maybe there is. Okay. But I don't know. I'm not sure how to put words mm -hmm. to it. It feels like a weird phrasing to me. I'm not like trying to like, yeah. you know, come against the way you worded the question because I think it's a great question. But I, I guess I just don't know what that means. <laughs> like, isn't okay? Here's okay. Isn't it though exactly like the message of Christ in the cross to take a mindset that would assume militarism and flip that on its head? Is like hmm. for a Jewish person in the time of Jesus of Nazareth to call him the messiah they were making assumptions about a military takeover that had been attempted multiple times in in israel's history like through the maccabees etc mm. so like they also would have assumed that to pledge allegiance to this messiah would be i will rally under your banner when you decide to physically storm the gates but jesus taking that and flipping it on his head and saying Oh, no, 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 you do not understand my project because my project is actually to become the lowest of the lows and actually be crucified as a criminal under the system that we rightfully want to overthrow because empire represents the killing machine of Satan and demons. And however you think of those as like personalities, like the Satan or like the demonic powers that seize emperors and presidents throughout the ages that cause us to do things like world war ii or whatever like those are inherently militaristic and to say that i don't pledge allegiance to anything that looks like that and now i'm going to take something that sounds militaristic but i'm going to place it in the open wounded hands of christ to say i pledge allegiance to the crucified god that's like that's that's intentionally subverting it so like i think you're right to be uncomfortable with it feels militaristic to pledge allegiance because I think that's actually what it's designed to make you feel. That's fair. That's why I think discipleship is not pledging allegiance. Oh, okay. Say more. <laughs> because allegiances can change. Mm. Yeah, pledging to me sounds a little too flimsy. Right. Like, And I think discipleship uh, yeah. goes further and I think for that very reason, Stephen, is exactly why discipleship is not pledging allegiance. It's trying to say, 
if your allegiance can change from one person or one government to another, I don't want that. I want you to be committed. I want you to be a part of this with me, not pledging under me, not being, Mm -hmm. you know, saying you're going to look towards me. Why don't we look each other face to face? And that's why I think discipleship is not pledging allegiance. Couldn't pledging allegiance just be the beginning of discipleship of saying, like, I'm choosing to be here? I I don't know, because like I said, if your allegiance can change, why would, you know, for people who may wrestle with that, like, why does allegiance have to be a part of that? Well, I agree that allegiance can change, but also, you know, I felt like I was discipled in one way of being a Christian for many, many years. And I no longer even feel like my allegiances can change. And so can like discipleship in faith. Like does your discipleship change? I mean, just like by the fact that it's in the past and that it's happened. Is that what you're saying? No, I mean, does does discipleship itself change? Well, I think growing up, I was discipled in a a Christian world that said it was right to pledge my allegiance to the flag and in some ways align my faith with my politics. And I've rejected that since. So my discipleship in that arena has changed. Maybe, def- maybe, it, maybe it comes down to how you define discipleship. Okay. How, how does a reverend decide or define discipleship? You have to be more specific than that. Not every reverend would have the same understanding. Okay. How do you? Because I'm a Methodist and a Baptist or an Episcopalian may have differences in how I define it. Yeah. I want yours then. A personal follower of Jesus. So your upbringing can change, but that that does not Mm. change your relationship with the divine. Like you are still Mm. having a personal intimate following of Jesus, how that's brought up and where that happens can change. But the fact that you are still in relationship with the divine, that is discipleship in my eyes. Right. And so like but, I was brought up with, you know, one school of thought or one theology and that can change. But my actual discipleshipness has not changed. Sure. And I think that goes for Josh as well. But I think it started as a five year old Josh pledging allegiance <laughs> to Jesus in that moment. Yeah. Like I can appreciate the simplicity of that because this whole time I've been thinking about like, I don't think that making a commitment to following something or someone is the same thing. Like that sounds like a bigger deal than pledging allegiance. Like when people pledge allegiance to the flag, it's more often than not, it's not soldiers, it's kids in classrooms. And like, there is no tangible byproduct of pledging allegiance other than you verbally said you did. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you could like, you could make sociological tie-ins to like, oh, like if you're more likely to like say this, you're more likely to have these like political outcomes and opinions. But like, it's not a direct, uh, you're not producing anything by pledging allegiance. I would argue that you are producing something by like cognitively committing to something. Like if I commit to going to the gym, mm-hmm. that is much like if I buy a gym membership and I like make a plan and I say like, I'm going to commit to going twice a week. That is much more of a tangible byproduct, whether or not I like live up to it. That's much more tangible than me saying, well, I pledge to go to the gym next year. Hmm. Uh, That was a bad analogy. But do you kind of see what I'm trying to get at? Like, Mm -hmm. I think I agree with you, Emily, that like pledging allegiance, like 
it feels kind of empty to me, for lack of a better word. I was looking up, because um, we haven't talked about the Bible at all this episode. Um, I was looking up uh, where allegiance comes up in the Bible, and I just kind of did like a quick scroll through of different translations that include the word allegiance in certain verses. Like, obviously, like it gives some different translations. And sometimes in some translations, like the word for allegiance that like gets translated as allegiance in some verses gets translated as faithfulness in other versions. And it seems like more mm. often than not, the word allegiance is directed towards God or other gods. Like sometimes God is saying, you shifted your allegiance to other gods. And it is kind of highlighting yeah. the fact that like your allegiances can change. Like it is a little bit uh, independent, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> and it's not, it's not as focused on like unchanging commitment. Which I think what mm-hmm. th- I think that's what discipleship and Christianity conversion is sold as. So like, I think I agree with you that it's a bigger ask. Mm-hmm. But Stephen, I also really like your point about like I feel like what you were kind of getting at was the whole like no king but Christ idea. Like it yeah. is a fundamental like slap in the face of people who do use yeah. that language. King, prophet, priest. Yeah. Yeah. King and kings of and lord of lords is a political statement. Totally. Right? Mm-hmm. The president, president of presidents. Of presidents. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I same wavelength, my man. That was amazing. The Supreme Court of Heaven. <laughs> now. Oh my I, gosh. I do want to revisit the idea of saying the Pledge of Allegiance regularly doesn't do anything because I think it does something. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think it's called indoctrination. But I'm not afraid of indoctrination because I think indoctrination literally happens everywhere. I think oh, yeah. the Baptists indoctrinate their youth groups in the same way that the Methodists indoctrinate their youth groups. Like to literally indoctrinate mm-hmm. is to teach a doctrine and essentially like download it into someone's understanding of the world. Literal worldview. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And like to me, I think there's a reason that. Even the prayers that are handed down through creeds or, right, you say, our father who art in heaven, like the common recitation of prayers, they don't necessarily like give you the worship goosebumps every time you say them, but to regularly revisit those words and use your teeth and your tongue and your lips to say them Mm. and have those words flow through you, I think over time actually does something to you. So I think to regularly say the Pledge of Allegiance is eventually to literally indoctrinate you to uh, have those words top of mind when someone say even your neighbor is a critic of something America is doing and now you have the words of the Pledge of Allegiance that say like, no, but America is a good place and we're supposed to be proud of it and we're one nation under God and right now you're causing us to not be one nation we're divided and you're mm. the problem you know like mm. to have those words top of mind is to very subtly begin to align you in ways that is pro-american and i don't think being pro-american is wrong but at the same time like i think those words uh have a way of diluting some of the evils our government does mm. right to mm-hmm. sing the national anthem, which is a war hymn, we're glorifying bombs going off and bloody battle because we can be proud of our soldiers, right? And like to to glorify that though, 
is a way of, uh, in my mind, of cheapening right the the things we've done to bomb the shit out of the Middle East when we had mm. really had no place in being there. Like, mm. like our government is the world's greatest killing machine. Just look at our military budget. Like we're designed Oof. to kill, Oof. right? And uh, so, so I think, like, while it is a just a small small form of protest in my mind to not sing that song or not say that pledge. I, I, I think it took a while for me to ravel that out of my heart. Right. And like, I, I personally like miss feeling patriotic. Mm. Um, and I don't know what, I don't know what that means for me right now. It, it, that is a very complicated feeling. Um, I used to love the 4th of July and right now it's frankly my least favorite holiday. So mm. I, it is complicated. It feels really good to like collectively love something. Yeah. And I think you're, you're touching on that really, really well, actually, that like at like face value, it is a patriotic recitation. And I think you're yeah. right that like those, like there's power in words. And honestly, it makes me want to take back what I said. But I think that was a very good way to word it. Uh, can I actually take back what I said <laughs> and re, I want to reword what I said. <laughs> Because okay. now, now I'm thinking of like, I think what I was really trying to get at was like pledging, pledging allegiance is often an external ask versus like committing to something like for it to really be authentic and change the course of your life. It usually has to be an internal process. Mm. I don't, I don't think it always okay. is. Cause like, obviously not all Christians like highlight the individual commitment to Christ. Like sometimes it is more of an interdependent thing. Like you grow up in a Latino Catholic community, you're Catholic. Like there's no, like <laughs> there's not as much like focus on individual commitment there. So, I mean, it sounds yeah. very Protestant E of me to mm. say like, no commitment to discipleship is internal. But I think that's kind of what I was mm. getting at there when I was yeah. like trying to say, it's not like, I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I think there is a shift though of like you grow up in a liturgical church saying our father who art in heaven every Sunday and eventually there's probably a moment where you're like oh that's what that means and it th the internal shift happens somewhere in there but like even the external sure. act of performing the rite or the ritual is doing something to you over time yeah that's fair yeah I'm still thinking about discipleship I've never known what to think about discipleship but um hmm yeah it is one of those words that I feel like is never well defined. So Emily, I really, really appreciated your very simple answer because I think that so many people love to like talk around discipleship and be like, well, when we talk about discipleship, what we're talking about is, you know, the mentoring and the blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> like no one ever gives like a clear answer about what the frick do you mean? <laughs> so I really appreciated that. Yeah. Do you guys have any like closing thoughts or ahas or questions maybe that you're left with now? I think one of my remaining questions, I think this is maybe similar to Stephen and maybe you, Emily, is like in relation to my faith and my politics as both have changed over the last five to six years. Pretty, uh, not like, not like opposite ends of the spectrum, but like I've, I've changed dramatically, right? Like I am, I'm I'm open to more change if uh you know I'm convinced of better ways for things too but like I think I'm still left with the question of like oh what does it mean for me to 
be a political person of faith? Does that mean being independent? Does that mean be more being more like locally driven? Does that mean like using my faith as the backstop for my political opinions? Or is it like being more honest that it's my individual opinions? I don't know. I think that I'm like still kind of like left with that to wrestle with. And honestly, I don't think I'm figuring it out anytime soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. Do you think that civics classes in public school is the beginning of discipleship to America? No. I think like you said, I think the Pledge of Allegiance is the beginning. Like that is a very clear uh mm-hmm. point of entry that's very easy. It's very easy to be a part of the collective. Um and it, it's very pro America and like not saying that's like good or bad, but that that is very pro America. But then I I think of discipleship as like a, a deepening right it's very CS Lewis like further up further in kind of like the the education process of learning what it means to actually mm. follow Jesus, right? And I think I honestly think civics is probably the next step in the education of like, okay, in the same way, the simplistic answer, and I don't say simplistic to be disparaging Emily, but in, in the same way that the simple answer is discipleship is like personal relationship with Jesus. I think to be educated in the history of our American government and its founding and its evolution and our political discourse, good or bad, you know, and our involvement in the world and all those kind of things. Like I think the that education process is discipleship slash indoctrination of like this is what it means to be an American. In the same way that your education by, you know, meditating on the scriptures or praying or uh, you know, sitting at a Eucharist table is the same like this is what it means to be a person of Christ. Hmm. What are you left with, Emily? This was your question and I feel like Stephen and I may have talked more than you on this episode, and I'm curious like where you are kind of sitting now at the end. No, it's all good. Um, I think I'm left with looking at the Pledge of Allegiance and taking those words and trying to make sense of it from my Christian background. You know, what does it mean to have a nation under God? What does it mean to be indivisible? What does it mean? to have liberty and justice for all. And I think what it means to be called to be tangible people in relationship with one another to ensure that this is a country that I could be proud of, Mm. Um, you know, and not having Mm. to place allegiance in something that I know is not going to help me. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, you know, what does it truly mean to pledge allegiance? Uh, so those are things that I'm wrestling with. Honestly, I feel a similar. Wow. I know we're trying to like wrap this episode up, but <laughs> I feel a very similar sentiment towards the church right now. Like I would love to be a part of something like that, that I'm proud of to be a part of. I miss that. Mm-hmm. And like, what, it, what does it mean to like try to be a part of a system that you believe is fundamentally broken? and you know that you can't change it yourself. I think that's a hard thing to wrestle with. Can I give a plug? Oh, yeah. yeah. I am reminded of uh, the Secular Buddhism podcast, which I yes. like. I feel like I first heard people talking about interdependence on. Um, there's some really good episodes at the beginning, uh, particularly episode three and episode 10, where he like talks about um, like what it means to be interdependent and also selfless. Like If we are trying to like 
hold other people up as well? Like, what does that mean in terms of like interdependence? And I think it's very thought provoking. It's kind of a different direction from like politics, but I, I think it's definitely relevant. Yeah. Lots to unpack, that's for sure. But I'm so glad that I brought this question up, this topic. Yeah. And I just want to thank you two for raveling it out with me. Oh, well, thank you, friend. Thank you. Thanks for not, not being independent in your question and wanting to be interdependent with it. <sighs> you tried. I tried. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a for effort. A for effort. Emily. Do you have a way to uh, to sign us out of here? Should we pledge allegiance to Jesus or something? Uh, no, that's not necessary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe leaving you all with the idea that we can wrestle with the idea of allegiance and discipleship and who and what we pledge ourselves to. And we can come together as a community to strive for better in the world. And if we're going to be proud of something, we want to ensure that we're truly proud of it. So maybe we just have a lot of work to do to ensure that that actually comes true. Hey gang, Keller Paulson here. I know what you're thinking. What's going on? Who is this guy? Am I right? Well, I'm the host of Keller's Couch. Now, Keller's Couch is an interview podcast where I, Keller Paulson, interview people I find interesting that are doing cool things in the community. But it's not just that. My friends at Slapstick Improv and myself, we also do some improv comedy and sketch comedy every other episode. So, if this tickles your fancy, why don't you scoot on down and pop a squat on Keller's couch. Bye. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.